0: Governor Ron DeSantis wins big in local school board races. What does it all mean? Welcome to the South Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero. A series of conservative victories in school board elections across South Florida could reshape what public education looks like. What could it mean for how history is taught in the classroom? The future of sex education? Who won? And what are they calling for? And Broward County calls for a school board candidate to step down in her re-election campaign out of concerns that Governor DeSantis will immediately remove her from the job if she's re-elected, and appoint his own loyalist. What a grand jury report has to do with the anxiety. And lastly, with primary elections over, how congressional races are shaping up across South Florida, we look at some of the top races we're keeping our eyes on. All that and more on the South Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero, and welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Florida's primaries were held Tuesday with a focus on education. This time around, Governor DeBron DeSantis endorsed 30 school board candidates throughout Florida, and they did remarkably well in Miami-Dade, Monica Colucci and Roberto Alonso won their elections for the school board, championing what the governor calls the DeSantis education agenda. The The politicization of the school board elections have come as a surprise to a lot of voters. Voter Jaime Rivera was at the West Miami Middle School polling location Tuesday afternoon.
1: Knowing how politicized even our school boards have become nationally really is mind blowing to me. Those are the races and those are the areas of our community that I never thought would be so politicized.
0: Did the governor's endorsements bring more people to the polls? What can we expect from these new school board parents? What drove you to the polls? And how important are the school board issues to you? You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining us now are WLRN's education reporter, Kate Payne, and the Miami Herald's education reporter, Summer Brugal. Kate and Summer, thanks for joining us. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. Summer, let's let's start with you. Um, Just from a bird's eye view, What exactly took place this week in Miami-Dade school board and in in the elections?
2: Yeah. So there were, there were four seats up for grabs, um, you know, and two incumbents uh, won their reelection bid, uh, Maritere Rojas in district six and Dorothy Vendros mendegal in district two. For the other two races, you know, I think what we can say is that DeSantis won. Um, And what that means um, is, is that issues or ideas like increasing parental rights, um, and and a return to a more conservative approach to education, or I'm using air quotes, a a back to basics education model really has support in in the community from from what we're seeing. And and what I mean when I say back to basics, it's this idea that um, we return education to, uh, or we focus education on reading, writing, math, and civics. um, And we really kind of work towards removing ideas and conversations about social issues out of the classroom. Um, so I think that's you know what we can say in, in a big, like you said, bird's eye view of, of kind of what happened this week.
0: And, and Kate, what are the implications moving forward of the shifting dynamics on the Miami-Dade school board? Is, is there a new makeup of the new school board now?
3: So in some sense, yes. Uh, I mean, I think the the implications are significant the sort of breakdown of how the members are leaning, as far as um, you know, conservative versus more liberal members, is the same. There's still a conservative-leaning majority, but you know, these um, two, uh, Desantis-endorsed candidates that we saw win this week, were coming from the right. You know, challenging an incumbent in Marta Perez from the right, and so we're seeing this rightward shift. Um, and in you know, the state's largest school district. Uh, the fourth largest in the country, there are a lot of children, there are a lot of families, a lot of public money in this district. And I think it'll be a question of, you know, how much we see Desantis's agenda reshape public education here in Miami-Dade on social issues, like how LGBTQ people are treated in school and on curriculum um, with how things like race and, and American history are taught um, and potentially with school choice as well.
0: And Summer, the, the victories of Monica Colucci and Roberto Alonso are clearly both Republican victories, even though these races were technically nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Um, what are voters on the other side of the of the races saying about it? Like, I mean, were, were these districts heavily Republican leaning in the first place or was it a question of voter turnout? Um, well, you
2: know, there's a couple of questions in there, so I'm going to go one by one. Um <laughs> you know i think when when it comes to um you know voter turnout and and what we saw there um we can definitely say that there were um there were indications that um you know more people came out to support school board races you know we we published a story earlier this week one of my colleagues did um that showed you know this year an average of you know 30,000 voters um, came out and voted for school board uh, races compared to about 25,000 in the 2018 midterm election. So that just goes to show that there was definitely this support, or I guess people were paying attention to these school board races. Um, and and I think that could also say, and it could also show just how, um, I guess, how much weight Desantis's uh, endorsements do hold. I mean, we, we saw that there was a lot of energy and a lot of political capital that the governor and others, um, like Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez spent in these races and, and, and energy that was put into these races. So I think we can say for sure that you know his influence mattered in this race. Um, in terms of what people are saying about the outcome of this race, Um, on the other side or or people who might not necessarily support the governor's agenda or education agenda, if you will, Um, I think they're concerned. Um, And I think they're concerned about what Kate was talking about, about how this could potentially reshape um, decisions that are made and and reshape kind of outcomes about discussions that, uh, you know, revolve around LGBTQ issues, um, race issues. Um, And I think at the end of the day, they are concerned that there is um, a shift away from an independent board and a board that could potentially fall more in line with uh, the governor and his policies and not necessarily focus on what the local um, community wants. Um, I think I answered your questions. If yes, not, let you. me know.
0: <laughs> thank you. I wanna, I wanna go to the phones now. We have Angel on the, on the line from Miami. Angel, welcome to the South Florida Roundup. You're on the line.
4: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. As a fellow journalist, I did go out to the polls to see how people were reacting. And going out to the polls, I would see how poll workers were handing out cards, and cars would lower the windows, and they would ask, what party does this person belong to? And of course, people would say it's a nonpartisan race. No, 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 but seriously, tell me, what party? I need to know. Oh, he's Republican. That was for Roberto Alonso. People are coming out, and they're supporting the Republican Party because they believe that the Republican Party is the one that serves them. DeSantis has gone critical acclaim, not by accident, especially with mainstream media and big media outlets being against them. What is this to say? That the Democratic Party is losing ground because it's not serving the interests of the people. The Democratic Party is serving the interests and pandering to an ideological extremist minority.
0: That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Angel. Um, Kate, um, you know, coming off of, of some of of Angel's um, thoughts there. Um, I mean, w- were there any bright spots for Democrats or more liberal leading voters in these Miami-Dade County races recently?
3: Well, we did see incumbent Dorothy Bendras Mendegal. Um, won her race, so uh, she drew one challenger and um, easily outraised um, and, and easily held on to her seat. Um, so that was that was something. Um, but you know, as far as these other races, um, it it really does seem like the influence of DeSantis, the endorsement of DeSantis, um, carried the day and, and really was um, really appealed to voters and also gave these challenger candidates, these, you know, political newcomer candidates, the ability to fundraise pretty much like incumbents um, because of his support.
0: And, and Summer, the w- winning candidates, Roberto Alonso and Monica Colucci in, in particular, they've promised to boost the role of parents in public education. What exactly does that mean?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, in short, it means exactly that. It means that they are being invited. And, and I will say, you know, I think a lot of people will argue the flip side of that, that their parents have always had a right to, um, you know, be involved in their child's education. I think what we're seeing now is this added emphasis on parents being able to potentially challenge a book that a teacher would like to use. Uh, in the classroom, or challenge uh, a whole curriculum that the district is is trying to use, and and we saw that recently with, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple weeks ago with um, the comprehensive health and sexual education textbook. Um, I guess debate is the word to use, um, and and I think that's what we could potentially see more of when you have this emphasis on, uh, you know, parents being invited to to make decisions about what they think their child should be learning
0: and and when. I'm Danny Rivero. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking the shifting dynamics of the Miami-Dade School Board and what it could mean for the future of public education here. And we're joined by Summer Brugal, the education reporter for the Miami Herald and also Kate Payne, WLRN's education reporter. What are your thoughts? You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Um, so, Summer, um, Florida Education Commissioner Manny Diaz was at the election night watch party for Roberto Alonso, who won that district that represents Hialeah and other parts of northwest Miami-Dade. What do we know about the relationship between these candidates and the state education commissioner who is, you know, from here in South Florida?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I I was also at Alonzo's watch party or victory party. Um, and, and I asked Diaz uh, or Commissioner Diaz, you know, how he knew uh, Alonzo and, and he said that they had been friends for quite some time. Um, so that that is, you know, that relationship is, is a friendship. Um, and then, you know, you also need to look at, at Monica Colucci's relationship with the lieutenant governor, um, Jeanette Nunez, who um, vocally supported uh, Colucci's campaign and uh, supported it financially as well, uh, according to campaign records that we saw. Um, so I think those relationships are going to be interesting to watch as we move forward. I, I will say, you know, both candidates now you know elected board members have said that, you know, they they do plan and hope to act or not hope to, but do plan to act independently from those relationships. But um, but but yeah, those they have both parties have been friends for for quite some time.
0: And Kate, for for a long time, battles between the state of Florida power struggles, I think I would say between the state of Florida and local school boards have really centered around private charter schools and the role of them with school boards a lot of times looking to protect public education um, in, in in the face of what they see as encroachment in of, of private companies and charter schools. Now, at least at this moment, the rhetoric has shifted to these hot button cultural issues. But how much is that other battle about public versus private education still simmering in the background here?
3: So I would say, you know, from some teachers and some public school advocates that I've talked with, they do see these sort of identity based culture war, quote unquote issues as a way to malign public education. You know, some see it as as an attempt to, you know, paint public schools as chaotic, as misguided, as, you know, potentially dangerous in the eyes of some. Um, And, you know, by an extension of that as, as a way to justify withholding resources from public schools. And we have seen you know, districts across South Florida are struggling with declining enrollment. Um, and some of that has been happening for years. But it's you know, especially a concern since the pandemic with families really reconsidering uh, what, what they want, uh, what kind of schools they want their, their children to be in or, or even choosing options like homeschooling. Um, and for uh, when we look at House Bill 1557, you know, the so-called don't say gay law, um, which you know has really pushed so many of these conversations um, that was not intended to affect charter schools. So it is this sort of um, divide still between traditional public schools and and these other charter and and private options.
0: And we have a caller now, Armin, calling from Boca Raton. Armin, you're on the phone. Thanks for calling South Florida Roundup. Um, Um, I
5: agree that patients. That uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, I agree that the parents should participate in educating their children, but I don't necessarily agree that they should be really forming or shaping the uh, the content of the uh, materials being used, because uh, public education, same as uh, public health, is uh, something that should benefit us as a nation, as the population serve the best interest. And a lot of times that can go not along some of the ideas that parents have about the education. And if we take this along with uh, the restrictions on abortions that's going into effect, and now we don't want to teach the kids about safe sex practices, I can see like disaster happening. This is not a great public policy. Not teach the kids about safe sex practices, and then limit abortion access? What what are we heading to? This is just really uh, outrageous. That's all I just wanted to say.
0: Thank you, Armin. Um, So, so, Summer, um, just following up on that, I mean, recently in Miami-Dade, we had the school board vote to eliminate effectively sex education for all schools due to concerns from some conservatives over how LGBTQ issues were addressed in the curriculum and then later the school board reversing itself. And now there is sex education. Um, If the makeup of the board looked like what it looks like after Tuesday with these new, um, you know, elected officials in there, if, if they were in place a few weeks ago when we were having this discussion, would things have been different? Would Miami Dade potentially not have sex education right now?
2: you know that's a great question and actually one that i've been trying to answer all week um so i have you know been talking to people in the community uh whether that's you know parents or, or you know teachers and and i think i don't think we can necessarily say for sure if things would have been different um but you know i do think if if we look at who's replacing who um the the flip flop if you will came from the chairwoman um who by all accounts, has is historically conservative, um, and she ended up flipping her vote and voting in favor to adopt it. Um, and and you know, I, I think some people would argue if uh, you know a new member is in that seat and disagrees with you know or is aligned with more conservative values and the parents and the conservative parents who have raised issues about these social issues, um, then yes, then I think a lot of people could say that maybe the vote would have been different. Um, but but i hesitate to say you know we could know that for sure i think that is something that we will be looking forward to um, or looking for as we move um as we move ahead um, and into the new uh and as we see the new board take shape um is it when these social issues do present themselves uh especially issues like curriculum um lgbtq issues race related issues i think that's when this new board um and these um, uh, LOYALTIES COULD BE PUT TO THE TEST.
3: AND JUST TO ADD TO THAT, I WAS uh, AT MONICA Colucci's ELECTION NIGHT WATCH PARTY AND and WE TALKED SOME ABOUT THIS AND SHE SAID THAT SHE WAS UNCOMFORTABLE WITH with THE TEXTBOOK THAT Mm -hmm. uh, THE DISTRICT WAS CONSIDERING BECAUSE OF SOME OF THE REFERENCES TO GENDER IDENTITY, WHICH SHE SAID SHOULD NOT BE TAUGHT IN SCHOOLS. AND THAT IS A COMMON REFRAIN AMONG THESE CANDIDATES, among, AMONG THESE GROUPS. And I think it's you know, important to point out that under a relatively new state law, districts have to approve reproductive health curriculum in a public meeting every year. So I do think that we can expect this issue to come back.
0: And we, we have a tweet here from Marika Lynch, who I know is an avid listener. Um, she says, I'm pretty sure all of this means more extremist ideologies in schools at a time when we should be focused on the fact on fact-based learning that earned us an A rating as a school district, she's talking about Miami-Dade County. Um, Summer, um, you know, just briefly, what's next? Like, it, once the new board is seated, are there any immediately pressing issues that this board will be looking at, where we can kind of put some of these ideological factors to test?
2: Yeah, I think you know not necessarily with this board but i think the biggest issue right now that the district is going to be facing is the referendum vote that that's coming up in november but in terms of the issues of the school board um once these new members are seated i think um you know like kate mentioned we're going to have curriculum reviews every year mm-hmm. um and there's going to be this year is is when the districts across the state will need to be choosing a uh, new curriculum or new <laughs> civics curriculum excuse me to be aligned with with new state statutes, so I I do think that this issue, these issues, again, like Kate mentioned, are going to be presenting themselves, um, probably pretty quickly.
0: Well, we're gonna we're gonna leave this part of the conversation there. Thank you so much, Summer Brugal with the Miami Herald, and Kate Payne with WLRN. Thank you both for coming on. Thanks. Thank you. Still to come on the South Florida Roundup: Calls for a Broward School Board candidate to step down, with fears that the governor will remove her from office. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Continuing with education, we shift our focus now to Broward County. Voters there approved a new tax increase to fund schools and two incumbents were reelected while a third has to go to a runoff election on November 8th. Incumbent Donna Korn for district eight was in a tight race with Alan Zeman, a former senior executive at the Pentagon. However, A grand jury report was released uh, the Friday before the primaries recommending Governor DeSantis remove five school board members for, quote, incompetence and neglect of duty. One of the names the report recommended that the governor remove Donna Korn. Staying on with us is WLRN education reporter Kate Payne and also joining us to talk about this is Raymond Adderley III and he was a candidate running against Corn in this school board race election. Um, what are your thoughts on this? You can call us at 800-743-WLRN, that's 800-743-9576. Kate, let, let's start off with you here. Um, just to get into the background of this grand jury, jury report that recently came out. Where did this come from and why did it drop just now?
3: So as folks may remember, uh, back in February of 2019, Governor Ron DeSantis asked the Florida Supreme Court to launch this grand jury investigation. And that was a year after the shooting at Marjory Stroman Douglas High School. And this was a statewide investigation looking at whether school districts were failing to follow state law in a way that endangered student safety and whether they were misusing public funds related to school safety. Um, and this was you know, a significant um, probe um, into multiple school districts and, and led to the indictments of three Broward officials. Uh, Superintendent Robert Runsey left the district uh, because of this, and the grand jury actually finished its work more than a year ago in April of 2021, but the public release of the report was delayed until now, Um, in part because people named in the report had been suing to keep it confidential. And that included some school board members, according to reporting by the Sun Sentinel.
0: And what exactly does this report refer to when it cites incompetence and negligent, negligent neglect of duty when it comes specifically to Broward school board member Donna Korn?
3: So those are specific terms um, incompetence and, and neglect of duty that are referenced in the state law that empowers the governor to remove local officials from office. So they're very particular in, in using that language. Um, and this the, the final grand jury report um, was really centered on uh, the district's bond from 2014. This was um, a massive school reconstruction effort. Um, Using public funds to do, you know, tons of of renovations to schools across the district. And it's been plagued by delays, by um, cost, you know, increases um, and has just been um, just an incredible uh, undertaking that the grand jury believed was was largely mishandled by board members inadequately. estimating how much this process would cost um, and and not holding district officials to account um, in efficiently and, and effectively using these public funds. And so that was the the main focus of the allegations against board member Korn um, and these other board members that were re- recommended to be removed.
0: Thank you. And I want to mention that there was another referendum in Broward County for school funding that passed this week. And we'll be getting into that in a few minutes. But Raymond, I want to bring you in. This grand jury report dropped at the very end of a race in which you were a candidate. And by the time the grand jury report dropped, thousands of people had already cast their ballots by mail or through early voting. Um, From your perspective, do you think it would have impacted your race if it came out earlier, this grand jury report?
6: Well, certainly it's great to be on with with you, Danny, and it's great to be off the campaign trail and uh, be able to play tennis again with not uh, having to go look at my phone to see if I got an important text or call. Uh, But I think more importantly, I do think the result could have been significantly different. It would have given Broward County the opportunity to, number one, review the report a little more and and see its findings. Uh, And number two, it would have also allowed Broward County to make a more conscious decision as you said, at the time this had been in 100,000 plus uh, vote by mail ballots were already in and being counted by our SOE. And so we saw that Donna did very well and the vote by mail uh, tally, she did incredibly well on election day and she did really well um, in, in the early voting as well. And, you know, people were voting prior to the grand jury uh, coming out and its findings. And so, absolutely, the results would have been completely different. It would have given politicos more time to hag on it and talk about it as they talk to voters. Um, and it, will, it would have allowed voters to have a keen understanding of what's happening at the district. Um, and then, more importantly, would have given us the opportunity to vote against uh, Ron
0: DeSantis's policies. And... Raymond, the the incumbent Donna Korn is now in a runoff race in, in November. Um, what's at stake in that race, especially now that this grand jury report has been made public and one of the key recommendations of that report is that Governor DeSantis remove Corn. I mean, is there a prospect that she gets reelected and then she's immediately removed from office?
6: Well. Well. Let's let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about the fact that the law, uh, Governor DeSantis technically by law can only remove a board member one time um, and specific to the term of office that grand that member was in after the grand jury report, uh, which means that he should be removing them anytime soon uh, within today, even or next week, while it's currently in their term. Now, I am a, I'm in big favor of democracy, and I think enough voters have seen uh, the grand jury report up to this point. But at the end of the day, Donna Korn is a Democratic elected leader uh, by the people of Broward County. Uh, she had 71,000 votes uh, in Broward County after a grand jury came out. Um, and simply that's because people cannot trust this governor to tell the truth. Um, and so many people feel that this grand jury is some type of political ploy or grab uh, by the governor to remove school board members that don't align themselves with his values. And I'm sure, as you know, uh, our school board was one of many school districts across the state that defied the governor and his COVID mandates. Uh, we are a district that signed um, a, a resolution.
0: I'm, Raymond, I'm, I'm sorry. I actually have breaking news that I want to add here just just now got this in my inbox from the the governor's office i'm gonna i'm gonna read you this it says today governor Ron DeSantis suspended broward school board members patricia good donna corn Ann murray and laura rich levinson from office following the recommendations of the 20th statewide grand jury so <laughs> it, it, it's happened i mean right 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 when you're in the middle of telling me the yeah. what could potentially happen this just happened Exactly.
6: And and this is a fear for so many people in Brad County, um, because whereas Donna is still on the ballot, uh, Lori, uh, uh, Lori Rich Levinson, her seat is up for contention as well over in District 6, and there's a runoff there. But more importantly, for people like Patricia Good, who still has two more years to sit on the dais, that is two years of a Ron DeSantis appointee Whose political ideologies do not align with the result of Broward County, um, and so uh, whose yeah whose political ideologies do not align with the voters in Broward County, um, and today I would say is a sad day in our district that a governor came and removed uh, school, sitting school board members that were elected by the people of Broward County, uh, even after uh, a primary election where one of those members were able to secure. 71,000 votes, I think that democracy and I think that the way that we choose and remove school board members should always be handled at the ballot box.
0: Wow. And and, and, and Kate, um, I mean, you've been reporting on kind of the looming cloud of this grand jury report happening. You know, we just got this announcement just a few minutes ago here. Um, what is your reaction or response to, to the, you know, that it has dropped? four four school board members in Broward removed, including Donna Korn, who's up for a re-election in November.
3: Yeah, I mean, wow, (laughs) I would say. But, you know, I I will say Governor Ron DeSantis has not been shy, certainly, about removing elected officials from office. It's, you know, a a pretty common uh, step for governors to make um, beyond Governor DeSantis. You know, when there is either evidence of a crime committed um, convictions or um, this kind of, you know, under the state law, misfeasance, malfeasance, neglect of duty, incompetence, um, these sorts of things. But, yeah, I mean, for four board members off of uh, the Broward School Board, it's a tremendous amount of change for um, one of the state's most Democratic-leaning counties. Um, So that is a really significant part of this. And. You know, Broward County School Board has a history of being um, investigated by by state grand juries, um, even beyond this this issue that we're talking about now. Um, so there's, you know, a, a long line of public trust being at risk for for the Broward County School Board, and this is um, going to be quite the undertaking. You know, and speaking with other school board members, um, they had concerns that in the um in the immediate term that the release of this grand jury report would further undermine public trust but they you know we're, were hopeful that the district will be able to move through this process we'll be able to turn a page uh, but this is quite the page to turn
0: <laughs> it really is raymond um just back to you you know what what are your thoughts i mean if, if the governor well not if the governor has now removed four elected officials from the Broward County School Board. Um, he will likely appoint his own people. I mean, what what does this mean for the short and medium term of you know the makeup of of this school board, which makes really important decisions about education in Broward County?
6: Yeah. Absolutely. Again, I, I just want to say that I, have my entire campaign, and even prior to my campaign, I've been a huge anti-proponent of Ron DeSantis and his administration. I felt that he's done terrible things to our state, from you know, from his response to COVID nineteen, which I heard earlier on when I was listening to the Florida Roundup, uh, hosted by Melissa, that he praised his COVID response that killed eighty thousand Floridians. Um, I I heard that he's very proud of HB 1557 that he passed. Um, And I feel that he is looking to further his influence and his legacy in a very selfish uh, political move here to appoint right wing school board members um, to our school board. Uh, so that he so that they can become in line with his policies Uh, as you know prior to you saying uh, that he just removed them i was going to the fact that we as a district and when i served as the student advisor we sent a resolution up to tallahassee signed by all of our board members and our superintendent standing with lgbtq plus students that would have been affected by hb 1557 and we did the same thing for the stop woke act Um, And so today, by him getting, uh, removing these school board members, like I said, it's a very sad day for public education. You know, Republicans, I say this all the time, they play the long game very, very well. And so they wait for opportunities like this to strike. Um, And they have been attacking public education for the last 20 years. It started with the conversation on vouchers, uh, and then it spread to charter schools that fundamentally serve to undermine uh, public education. Then it went to him saying that all school districts have to spend uh, or give charter schools in their districts 20% of the public education budget that school districts receive for public education. Um, And now it's him removing school board members. And so the question becomes, where does the overreach stop? And more importantly, how is Florida the freest state? when democracy continues to be on the line.
0: I want to go now to the phones. We have Barney calling from Deerfield Beach. Barney, thank you for calling. You're you're on the line here on the South Florida Roundup.
5: Thank you for answering my call. I'm a teach I'm a retired teacher teaching over 30 years in a, another state. Uh, I am very perturbed seeing the very fascistic turn of our electorate. And how they are burning books, how they are attacking LGBTQ uh, people, attacking other minorities, where none of these questions historically or sexually have ever come up in my years of teaching. And I find that this is an overreach by the government of a party that wants freedom for everybody. I am very perturbed with this, and I hope somehow or other we can put a stop to it.
0: Well, thank you for your call, Barney. Um, You know, we just have a few more minutes here on this topic. I don't want to let us go without actually touching on the referendum that passed this week that will see Broward County taxes increase to better fund public education. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of other things going on, but that's the major thing that passed this week as well. Raymond, what what does this referendum mean now that it's passed? Like, where, where is that money going to be going towards?
6: Well, so the referendum, I believe, is, um, well, number one, I have always been very harsh and critical of my local school district. Um, and I like to describe the referendum as paying the salaries for everyone we hired after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Um, and so that is our mental health specialist that we brought on Uh, our SROs that we have in schools that are not attached to uh, local police departments because that's how it works in Broward. You either have SROs that cities- School resource officers. Right. School resource officers that are given by cities and paid by the city, or- They are we have to fund the city to give us those police officers within those schools, Um, but also our, um, you know, security specialists that are on campus the teachers that we hired after that. And so what the referendum did in 2018 was it allowed for those people to get significant bonuses. And in many cases, it was one-time bonuses or one-time bonus a year or a a significant stipend to their paycheck. Um, And so this money was running out. But more importantly, since we now have to share 20% of it with charter schools, the money would have went away much, much quicker. Um, and so the school board had to raise the rate at which we were collecting uh, our money for that project or that referendum from a half mill to a full mill. That way we could be able to continue to do that for our teachers and our, uh, so, uh, our security specialists, our mental health professionals, um, so that we okay. wouldn't run out of dry and have to have massive um, pay cuts and, and massive leaves in our district.
0: Got it. Thank you. And we're going to have to leave it there for this conversation. Thank you so much, WLRN education reporter Kate Payne and Raymond Adderley III. Thank you both so much for coming on. Thank Thank you. you. Still to come on the South Florida Roundup, after the primaries, we take a look at how South Florida's congressional races are shaping up for November. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Primary elections for congressional seats wrapped up this week, and that means we finally have a clear view of the big-ticket races that we'll be seeing in November. A congressional race in Miami looks like it's going to be a nail-biter between incumbent Republican Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar and Democratic nominee State Senator Annette Tadeo. And in Broward and Palm Beach counties' less competitive races, yes, but there's still a lot going on and a lot to talk about. Joining us now is WLRN's Palm Beach reporter, Wilkin Brutus, and we're also joined by Miami De- by Miami Herald politics reporter, Bianca Padro Ocasio. Wilkin and Bianca, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Danny.
7: Yeah, thanks for having me too.
0: <laughs> thanks for coming on. Um, Bian- <laughs> Bianca, let's start with you. Um, the race between incumbent Republican Congresswoman, Maria Vida Salazar, and Democratic nominee, Annette Tadeo, looks like it could shape up to be one of the most competitive races in the country. Tell, tell us a little bit about the dynamic that's shaping up here in this race.
7: Yeah, so this race is probably going to be the only real competitive congressional race that we'll have in South Florida, at least, and one of the few that we'll have in in the whole state. Um, it's going to be uh, incumbent Maria Elvira Salazar, a Republican and and Tadeo who's a state senator Democrat and uh, she actually dropped her gubernatorial bid earlier this year to run for the seat and a lot of Democrats were happy about that because uh, it didn't look like they really had a sort of heavyweight uh Democrat who was gonna uh, be able to to run in this district that they knew uh, could potentially uh be competitive and after redistricting, uh, THIS DISTRICT HAS BECOME A LITTLE BIT MORE REPUBLICAN. IT'S A SEAT THAT Salazar, uh FLIPPED IN 2020 um, FROM uh, INCUMBENT DONNA SHALAYLA.
0: FLIPPED A FEW TIMES AT THIS POINT.
7: RIGHT, RIGHT. AND, uh, and I THINK IT'S PRETTY INTERESTING BECAUSE IT'S GONNA REALLY uh, COME DOWN TO SORT OF THESE DYNAMICS AND TRENDS THAT WE'VE BEEN SEEING uh, PLAYING OUT AMONG HISPANIC VOTERS IN Uh, really the state of Florida, but primarily here in Miami-Dade County in South Florida, um, we sort of see that Maria Elvira Salazar, she really messages a lot to the sort of sentiment that a lot of uh, LATINOS HAVE DOWN HERE IN miami Date ABOUT, YOU KNOW, CASTING DEMOCRATS AS SOCIALISTS. Uh, THIS WAS SOMETHING THAT REALLY WAS VERY EFFECTIVE FOR HER IN 2020. Um, BUT IT'S GOING TO BE INTERESTING HOW THAT'S GOING TO PLAY AGAINST ANETEREO WHO Colombian COLUMBIAN-AMERICAN. Um, SHE HAS A SORT OF VERY, UH, A compelling personal story about fleeing Colombia and uh, her dad being kidnapped by the FARC, which is this Marxist guerrilla group from Colombia. Um, So I I think it's definitely going to be one to watch. It's being nationally uh, watched because, again, it sort of uh, comes down to this narrative of, you know, can Democrats uh, running a Latina, running somebody who has this personal story about, you know, fleeing uh, this sort of. Uh, Marx's guerrilla group in Colombia, can that message uh, continue to resonate and can they sort of reverse their trends with Democratic voters? So it's definitely something that Democrats are going to be watching nationwide.
0: And state senator Annette Tadeo did flip a Republican seat to Democrats in 2017. And, you know, I was at Annette Tadeo's primary watch party on Tuesday in Coconut Grove. And this is what she told me about why she believes she can flip that this seat to Democrats once again.
2: I am someone that brings people together rather than divide, that actually talks about solutions, votes for solutions, comes up with solutions rather than just complaining. Again, this is not a reality show. This is a people's real lives. And I know she's a TV personality, but people want a real representative, not someone who's acting. And that's what they're gonna get with
0: me. And Bianca, obviously, that was um, the candidate talking about Salazar's career as a as a TV journalist and whatnot. Um, quickly, like, what is the congresswoman Salazar's campaign? How are they gearing up for this this re-election? How how are they looking at this race?
7: Yeah, so it's very clear that uh, Salazar really is gonna uh, tap into the sort of um you know uh resentment and anger that a lot of voters feel with the state of the economy with things like inflation and gas prices things like that um but you know at the same time uh, she's Kind of uh, you know, keeping a, a message that's uh pretty moderate for Republican standards if we compare it to other parts of the state. Um she's somebody that, you know, she was the only Florida Republican who voted to raise the minimum age uh to buy assault rifles to 21. Um, she initially supported uh the first makeup of the January 6th commission when it was going to be a bipartisan independent commission and it was something that she later voted voted against. But again, these are some examples of uh, kind of the dynamics in this race for a district that, you know, it's not really a, a safe Republican seat uh, after redistricting it kind of could lean Republican, especially with these trends that we're expecting to see of maybe you know the so-called red wave that we might be seeing in November. Um, but you know, it, it is it is in many ways still a competitive district, and especially you know, can somebody like Anitareo in a in a year where the overturning of the uh, the Roe ruling has uh, really angered a lot of Democrats. Can she sort of capitalize on that energy mm-hmm. to turn out uh, voters, and especially those voters in the Hispanic community that she really needs to come out for her?
0: And Wilkin, I want to bring you into this. You've been covering the race for the 20th Congressional District in majority black areas of Broward and Palm Beach counties. How did that primary race between incumbent Sheila Sheriff McCormick against Dale Holness play out? How did that play out?
1: Yeah, so in the primary for Florida's tw- uh, 20th Congressional District, uh Democrat Sheila Shurfilis McCormick actually trounced uh former Broward mayor Dale Honus in the anticipated rematch. She uh received just over 70% of the vote. And in that race, Shurfilis McCormick also defeated primary challenger Anika Omfroy, who represents parts of Broward County and uh in the Florida House of Representatives. Uh McCormick now faces Republican Drew Montez Clark in November. And Clark leans on the fact that he's a black conservative who is trying to flip the majority uh, black and Democrat uh, 20th congressional district.
0: And another race you've been covering and following, Wilkin, is for Florida's 23rd district, which is an open seat after Congressman Ted Deutsch did not seek reelection. How did that primary play out and what are we expecting in November from that?
1: Yeah, so so Jared Mauskovitz, um won the Democratic primary for that district uh, with more than 60 percent of the vote the seat covers parts of Broward and Southern Palm Beach County. And Moskovitz is actually uh, a former city commissioner in Parkland. Um, and, and Danny Ted Deutsch served that district since 2010. So it's a pretty big deal. Uh, Deutsch left that seat to become the chief executive officer of the American Jewish committee committee, and he. Mouskowitz faces GOP winner Judd or I'm sorry, Joe Budd, who is founder of a nonprofit that supports Donald Trump. Um, But that district heavily leans Democratic. So um, I think Mouskowitz may have the advantage uh, come November.
0: And just quickly for for both of you, um, Bianca, what are you going to be paying attention to in the lead up to November in particular?
7: Um, I'm definitely going to be watching this uh, florida 27th race uh i'm i'm really going to be paying attention to the sort of uh messaging that democrats are are going to have to to really hone in on for hispanic voters because that's going to be such a crucial demographic uh you know up and down the ballot uh with val demings and marco rubio um etc so i'll be watching those two races particularly
0: and wilkin you
1: yeah so there's all sorts of issues that appeal to voters minds right now. The politics in our school boards, uh, rising costs of rent, inflation looks to be going down to some extent. And there's all sorts of culture war topics uh, dominating the conversation. So it's going to be interesting to see how Democrats and Republicans position themselves in the conversations and what sorts of policies they hope to implement if they were to win the general election. Um, So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to see that.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you both. Wilkin Brutus. Palm Beach reporter for WLRN and Bianca with the Miami Herald. Thank you both for coming on. Finally, on the South Florida roundup, I wanted to take the time to bid farewell to an unconventional legend of South Florida journalism. For 10 years, Havana native Al Crespo developed a reputation of having the best sources in the city of Miami. Police officers, code inspectors and other city officials would regularly leak him documents about questionable things happening at city hall. And Crespo reported on them with his characteristic passion and, yes, anger, at things he saw happening in his city. The thing is, Al Crespo was not a paid watchdog journalist. He was a very concerned citizen, and he did all of his reporting and blogging on his own time and on his own dime. Elected officials hated him, but that was because he was onto them. Over the years, Crespo broke stories of municipal corruption before all the major outlets, scooping the miami herald major tv stations and yes us at wlrn here's crespo speaking at a city of miami meeting in march of 2019
4: i'm going to tell you the best thing the only thing that you do if you since you've been getting screwed for year after year issue after issue when you vote next time vote everybody out of office and then organize take to the streets do whatever you have to do. These people are not going to look out for your interest. They haven't done it for 10 years that I've been writing about the corruption in the city. They're not going to do it today.
0: Al Crespo helped me a few times when I was stuck on a story, and he also helped other up-and-coming journalists, teaching us how to get key documents that would uncover things happening at City Hall. Al Crespo lived a colorful life, to put it mildly, serving 20 years in prison for bank robbery before getting into the film and TV industry, photography, and later into citizen journalism. Well, Al Crespo died at 80 years old at his Miami Shores home last week. We all owe you something, Al, whether we realize it or not. You were a true legend of journalism in South Florida. One last thing to add, Al Crespo's dying wish was for everyone to vote at every opportunity they have, at every opportunity they have. That'll do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Natu Twe. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Our interim managing editor is Katie Munoz. Jessica Bakeman is the senior editor of news. Christine DiMattei is the interim newscast editor. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. The director of radio operations and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Mares. Richard Ives answers the phone. And I'm Danny Rivero. Thank you so much for calling and listening.
5: WLRN Public Media.